Hello and welcome to Tax Yak, a tax banter podcast. We love yakking about tax, so we've invited a range of tax experts and practitioners to have a chat with us. We hope you enjoy this episode of Tax Yak. I'm Lynn Gibson, a senior tax trainer with Tax Banter and your host of today's podcast. I am joined by my colleague from Tax Banter, Leanne Hayes, um, brings about 19 years of tax training experience and is well regarded as an enthusiastic, approachable and engaging presenter. Her strong tax technical knowledge was developed in at the ATO where she held various technical audit and training roles. Leanne has been training since 2001. Every year at this at tax time, there is a lot of information about what you can and can't claim. Morning television presenters suddenly become tax experts. There's even ads at the moment on television where um, a fellow is uh, trying to do his um, tax tax return with a snorkel or something appropriate. So Lee and I are going to help um, unpack the truth from the misinformation. Lee, thanks for joining me on Tax Yak today. Thank you, Lynn. It's a pleasure to be here. Good. Okay, so why are we interested in this issue? Okay, so one of the things um, uh, a few years ago that the, the the commissioner identified was that Australia has this sort of reputation of, well, if everybody's doing it, I can as well. And that goes to their work-related expenses as much as going down to the pub and having a beer. So one of the things that uh, the, the commissioner did identify is that there's this large gap between what uh, people should be claiming and what they are claiming. So the ATO estimates that this tax gap for individuals not in business is around 5.6% or $8.3 billion in, uh, with one of the main drivers of the gap being incorrect claims for deductions of these work-related ex- expenses. So around 8.5 million Australians claim nearly $19.4 billion of this work-related expenses in their 2020 tax returns. And year on year, the work-related expenses are high on the ATO's radar uh, for compliance activity. It's not, uh, this is not um, different for 2021, with the ATO already flagging that it will be targeting claims that are simply copy and pasted from previous years. As it is is expected that with the corona um, pandemic, that people's work habits would have changed quite significantly. And consequently, work expenses should also um, uh, have changed as well. So we are likely to see an increase in work from home expenses and a decrease in our car and travel expenses. And we'll look at this further. Given the ATO's um, extensive and ever-expanding compliance data matching capabilities, incorrect work-related expense claims are more likely to be detected and um, disproved than ever before. The Commissioner had already, or the ATO had already identified that since the reviews had started, $1 billion worth of of, uh, work-related expenses have not been claimed. So it's gone down by a billion dollars. And that's just with the overall um, threat of review. Have you got any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the big drivers behind that is, is what they call a nudge. Uh, when you jump onto something like my tax and do your tax return there, the minute you put your occupation code, you are flagging yourself as belonging to a cohort of, of individual cohort of taxpayers. You put your income there, the algorithm sitting behind goes, okay, I know what to expect at Lee Hayes' tax return at D1 based on her occupation code and her salary. And the minute you put something in there that's higher than what you expect, you get the, are you really sure this is what you, you want? This is higher than what we'd expect. Interestingly, you don't get the flag if it goes the other way. It doesn't say, oh, have you claimed enough here? Have you forgotten something? <laughs> I can imagine so that I, would I, be appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like that warning. Um, so certainly, I, I know, anecdotally, talking to, to the tax office as well, they've said that is a big driver between closing that tax gap. And those tax gap figures were, were actually from 2018. I'd love to see the next lot of data when that comes out as well. I know they don't publish that every year. They don't do it every year, but I'd yeah. love to see the next one. Mm. Yeah, and I also um, heard that they were looking at um, the you know people that would put a higher amount in, and then they would reduce it and reduce it and reduce it until that message went, or they put an amount in and they would increase it, increase it, increase it until that message went. <laughs> well, of course, the you know the ATO can see all those keystrokes, and they know that you've done it so that you just get in under that that uh, level. So. People always say, how do they choose who to audit? Well, I could imagine that would be one of the cases. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They write a list, draw a line. If you're putting yep. all those entries in, you're yep. above that line. That's right. Exactly. And I think you're right about the um, the expenses changing, of course, based on, on um, COVID-19 and the impacts from that. Um, being in Victoria myself, my 2021 tax return will look a lot different to my 2020 Um I was chatting to, to you before we um, started recording today just about the um, simple change to my, my travel, my car. Um, I'm certainly the sort of person that has a high logbook sitting there at usually around 80% because I do so much travel for work. And then when I sort of punch in the numbers from my expense claim as a percentage of what um, I've actually travelled, it's, it's not sitting at 80% anymore. But how does that filter into your tax return? And that's well, something I've... I will... You go. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I think we'll divulge some of that information uh, later on in this in this podcast. Yeah. But you're right, um, in as far as COVID has changed the landscape, and so many more people are uh, claiming things like our home office, which we'll talk about in a moment. So just some figures from the ATO, like in 2020, 4.4 million people claimed work from home. And that added up to $2.8 billion worth of expenses. Compare that to before COVID, and it was 3.16 million people, and it was $1.7 billion worth of expenses. So it's gone up there by, you know, over a million people. And again, 2021 will be, you know, will show even more, especially down in Victoria. I suppose in New South Wales, it'll be now the 2022 year that will be uh, affected by this. And I also think when you do, when we are going to look at the home office expense, the fact that a lot of people have realised they can work from home and their work is allowing them to work from home, this might have changed the landscape permanently. And it's not just oh. a glitch while the pandemic is on. Oh, absolutely. I um, yeah, absolutely agree with that. I've, we've noticed just in our client base talking to people, they are restructuring, re-jigging um, the way that the office works. Having that one day 
where everybody will have to be there. But other than that, there's um, a lot more flexibility being offered, which will change the deductions. That's right, exactly, exactly. The other thing I wanted to just point out too is that, you know, sort of with this year and people probably at home not having much to do, uh, they're getting on to getting their tax returns done. And of course, um, one of the things like as at today's date, um, the number of tax returns lodged uh, is up by 7%. Um, and so mainly they're probably people that have got refunds. And the thing too, to remember, and if you're a tax agent, um, your clients will probably think you're marvellous for getting them these large refunds. But don't forget that we did have the uh, the reductions in the tax that was supposed to start in the 23 year, 22, 23 year, were brought forward to the 1st of July 2020. But that was announced in our budget on the 6th of October. So they didn't go back date and give us all refunds. What they did is they said, right, the first pay period after that. And for most, if you're a monthly, by the time it all got sorted, it would be November. So there's four months there that people will be getting a refund as well as the, um, the $1,080 of the low to middle income tax um, offset. The thing to remember, Bart, is to be careful when you are going into um, do your tax returns early because now we've got the we used to wait till the mail arrived or the payroll person gave you your group certificate just worked out how old <laughs> I am um, now it's the payroll summary and now you don't even get that they just press a button and all of a sudden it's in your my gov, my gov account but the thing is is that those status for those PAYG summaries are generally they they just have it um, and then they have to make it tax ready so the employers usually have till the 14th of July 2021 to get it tax ready. But this year, because of New South Wales, it was pushed back to the 31st of July 2021 because everybody was having trouble with that. So if you have put your tax return in and you didn't check to see, you can still put your tax return in and it's not tax ready. But what you've got to do is go back and check it hasn't changed, because if it has changed, well, then you need to adjust your tax return It automatically won't adjust the tax return. So quite often in these, you know, first month or um, six weeks of after year end, there's often, you know, sort of um, quite a few changes that have to be done because all the information isn't there. So general deductibility, one of the things that, you know, the, the golden rules about your general deductibility, of course, is that you have to have spent the money, of course, you can't just have thought you might buy something <laughs> and not, um, you have to be able to substantiate it, so you have to have your documents and documents. Uh, dockets for it. We do have um, situations where you don't have to substantiate, but, but of course, they're special rules. Um, so now they has to be incurred in you earning your assessable income. So 8-1 for an individual is um, incurred in you gaining or producing your assessable income. So we've got special sections, like if you're tax agent fees, that's not necessarily encouraging you gaining your accessible income. So there's a separate section for it. But today we're talking about those expenses that are incurred for gaining and producing your accessible income. So the word you'll often hear is the nexus. There's a nexus between mm. the expense and you earning your income. And the other thing too is that you can't be reimbursed. 
So, you know, it sounds like a great idea. Okay, I've spent all this money um, setting up my home office. I sent it all into my work. They reimbursed me, but, you know, they just took a photocopy of the expense. Uh, can I claim it? No. Only one person can claim it. And if you've been reimbursed, you can't ex um, claim it at all. So, yeah, I was going to say, it's been interesting because obviously 8-1 has been around forever and a day, obviously, you know, arrived in the 97 Act as a change from the 36 Act with no um, obviously change in meaning. But we still see cases on incurred. Um, probably since the last time we did this sort of work-related expense podcast, we've had Lambourne's case. Um, the, the Defence Force member who spent money on some stuff for the ship, um, connecting audio-visual equipment up to the ship's um, uh, while he was out at sea, connecting it up so they could, well, he could do presentations, work-related, but also because they, so they could do videos and, and watch something <laughs> of an evening. And um, I think that was a really interesting case because the tax office took the view that, well, you're spending money without a direction from your employer. And you're spending money without having um, uh, an increase in income as a result of it. Do you really have that nexus with your income earning activity? And certainly, I know you probably experienced the same talking to some clients that that rattled a few people because we've never before had to have a letter from our employer saying we can go and spend that particular, you know, particular amount on that item. So this is where I think that again, you just want to refocus back to is what I'm spending money on really related to my income earning activity? I don't necessarily think you do need that letter from your employer, but I think with some things, if they're sort of in that fringe area, as I like to call it, where you've potentially got that private aspect or you've potentially got that kind of um, personal use, this is where you probably want to see something a bit more concrete before actually putting that in your tax return. Yes, I agree, because when that case came out, I panicked because work, you know, gives us the Thompson, um, etc. And we get the whole thing and the handbook, etc. But I still like to get the old master tax guide from CCH because it's sort of got a little few more examples, etc. Now I can assure you there's no private use of that. <laughs> because I don't Are sit there sure? yeah I don't you know it's not one of the the thousand books beside my bed that I've got to read um but um you know but I thought well you know as far as tax banner is concerned they have given me the tools to be able to do my job I have spent money to assist me on um, on earning my income um, but you're right as far as the tax office after that case has come back and said it hasn't changed things you've just still got to you know sort of it has that nexus it's got to do with your work you don't have to have had the um the, yeah. the tax or your employer telling you that you must spend that money yeah those funds yeah and again the the substantiation i mean i um i've got teenage children so i i, I use an example that they would give me and, and substantiation is the instagram of the tax world you know nothing happens in teenage life unless it's recorded on instagram nothing happens in tax world unless you have your substantiation for it so you can and again Lambourne's case fantastic example he spent money buying a uniform there is no doubt he wore the uniform to work but because he didn't have the proper substantiation to show that he spent the money specifically on a uniform he couldn't get the deduction so That's again right. paperwork might seem like a secondary kind of you know concern it was the difference between getting the deduction and not in this particular case Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sounds good. So, uh, yes. Yeah, so just understanding those rules are important. So, um, 
I suppose we've we've spoken about um, you know sort of the problems and examples of you know sort of misinformation that's out there. Why don't we get into some of the specifics? So we've set the scene for our home office, and really the the expenses relating to running those home office. The fact that it's gone up so much, and the fact that the ATO is reviewing it and looking at it more. Leanne, can you? give us um, or, or, or tell us how you should be able to substantiate or not your um, home mm. office running expenses? Yeah, obviously there's, there's three options. You could actually substantiate everything. But I sort of warn people, do you know the energy consumption of the lamp on your desk or your computer, um, the heating, that kind of stuff? And clearly that's too hard. So most of us will use for those running expenses one of two methods. Of course, the, the standard, the 52 cents per hour that the tax office has had in place forever and a day. And the other option, which has been brought about because of COVID, is the 80 cents per hour. Now the 80 cents per hour obviously sounds better than the 52 cents per hour, but it's really important to understand what it means to be using that as opposed to the other one. The 80 cents per hour is it. That covers everything. So that is covering not only the usual suspects of the lighting, the heating, um, cooling, uh, office furniture depreciation, but that is also covering your electronic depreciation. So your iPads and the like, your consumables, your internet, and your mobile phone. It is your one-stop shop. The 52 cents covers, again, the depreciation, the running expenses on the electricity, et cetera. But on top of the 52 cents, you can claim depreciation for things such as your, your electronics, your, your iPads or whatever, your mobile phone. You can also claim internet and you can also claim mobile phone expenses. But you have to substantiate them. And um, it's been a long running bugbear of mine how on earth I substantiate my mobile phone. We all have a plan. We pay X amount per month to have access to the phone. You're not paying for phone calls anymore. Those days are gone. In fact, during the week, I actually read something that Telstra is offering free phone calls from every single payphone. You just don't pay for phone calls. So to have that as the measure of what the business use is of a mobile phone device, I just find extraordinary. Mind you, helps me out because I don't really call people. I only call work colleagues or call into Zoom meetings or call um, clients or, or whatever it is. I rarely use it for um, sort of private purposes there. It's all the data that you're using on those messaging apps and the like. Maybe I'm an evil person. <laughs> but... Um, to, to just go down onto a log of your phone calls, I, I don't know whether that really reflects our usage this day and age, but in any event, you have to substantiate it that way. So I don't know what you found talking to clients, but I found a real mixed bag between um, those that do claim the 52 cents per hour as opposed to the 80 cents per hour. I think it possibly depends how many other people are in the household claiming the internet, because of course the internet's one bill, and if it's just you using it, you know, 80% or 70% of that is, is a large claim. If there's four of you using it, it whittles down quite significantly, doesn't it? Um, in that, in that uh, if you were not using your internet for work purposes prior to, um, you know, prior to the lockdown, um, and then you've come home and you, uh, you're using it, is there still a deduction for it? Because there's been no increasing costs for you. <laughs> I know, home. I know it's such a hard question to answer um, and I think you're probably right. 
let's drill down to section 8-1. You get a deduction to the extent it is incurred in gaining or producing accessible income. And if you've never been using that internet to, to gain accessible income, and now you are, are you incurring the expense for that? No, it's, probably it's, not. Well, I mean, for my for my example, because you know I'm in Sydney, so I you know work from uh, work from home when I'm not doing my presentations at the moment. I'm doing everything from home. But uh, when I very first started with Tax Banter, I had my little plan there, and I said to my niece, "Oh no, I missed out on taping, <laughs> recording a you know I think it was Grey's Anatomy all those years ago," and she laughed at me and she said, "Why are you recording it? Why didn't you just watch it on your computer and I went oh great so it was the beginning of the month I watched two you know the the two or three episodes that I hadn't caught up on and then all of a sudden my computer went really slow and it wouldn't download any of my work stuff and it was really really slow so I rang up um, Telstra and they said oh you've used all your download data and I went, I have? What does that mean? And then he explained it to me and I had to fork out an extra $25 a month to be able to watch my shows and do my work. So I claim $25 a month because mm. that was my additional cost of when I started to work from home. And so, mm. you know, so the story goes on. But uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Now I'm thinking I shouldn't have adjusted for those children because when they came started to work from from home with homeschooling, Schooling. my internet didn't change. So <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have apportioned for them. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, now you've mentioned um, the fact that when you when you claim the um, eighty cents uh, per per hour, um, uh, you know the substantiation for that then is much easier because all you have to keep is your hours. So you know yep. if you work you know, nine to five, five days a week, it's easy to work it out. Um, don't forget to take any holidays off because that's the other thing that um, the commissioner uh, gets a bit narky about. You know, you multiply everything by 12, you work it out for a month, multiply it by 12, and then he says, so you haven't gone on a holiday. Um, well, in COVID, probably not, but um, okay. in other circumstances. We haven't been on a holiday forever. <laughs> <laughs> but in those circumstances, what about buying, you know, when I set myself up with the office, you know, I bought a little stand, I bought a new chair, I bought a mat. All of these are under $300. Am I still allowed to claim those as well? Um, no, that's the problem with the 80 cents per hour. <laughs> she's shaking, she's shake, shaking her head and I'm going, no, this is all audio. <laughs> yes, yes, it's a podcast. It doesn't work yeah. if I just shake my head. Um, no, and that's the thing, of course, with the um, 80 cents is that's your one-stop shop. Um, so you're not getting any extra deductions for any of those things. So again, you've got to weigh it up. Um, when you are doing, obviously, the 52 cents per hour, you do have the substantiation on those things, but that's not really onerous, I wouldn't have thought, to keep the receipt that you've got from Officeworks to purchase your stand-up desk or whatever it is. Um, it's just a matter of just making sure that you're not claiming the 80 cents and those extra things as well. Mm -hmm. So um, 80 cents aside, the 52 cents or the actual, is there been any unusual expenses that people have claimed or tried to claim because they're at home working from home? like oh yes one of my favorite <laughs> taxpayers mr ogden is that how we pronounce yes. his name 
I loved him. He claimed deductions for all sorts of things. Um, You know, we're working from home. Obviously, there's bathroom accessories that we might be – toilet paper is what I'm trying to politely say. Um, No, that is private. You can't claim that as a deduction even though you're working from home. The Tim Tams that you might want as a snack at at morning tea – Again, no. Coffee, no. That is still just private expenditure. Um, my favourite with um, uh, Mr Ogden there is he did actually try and pay his seven-year-old son secretarial fees for answering the phone. Um, again, no. Working from home does not give you sudden amber to claim whatever it is that you, you feel that um, you're just incurring during the day. And I really loved it because in his printing and stationery, he had a receipt for a Dora Explorer um, pencil case and um, and uh, book that he wrote all his important <laughs> notes on. Yes, right. Yes. So yes, but more more I suppose more um, you know pertinent to COVID is things like your face masks and your hand um, sanitizers, and then of course you know the hand sanitizers have wrecked all our cuticles. So we then go and buy um, hand cream to help out are any of those deductible um i'll give you the face masks maybe (laughs) maybe um look obviously when we're talking about these kind of items um it has to be protective so if you think about um again that nexus with your income we've already spoken about that but there are four negative limbs and one of those is anything that's private private or domestic in nature and a lot of these these things are knocked out by that negative limb. It has to be pretty um, sort of outside the ordinary or an absolute requirement of your employment activities for that to have the nexus and to get it in. So look, the tax office has in one of its documents um, that, um, uh, oh, I can't find the QR code, oh, the QR code, QC code is what I'm really after here. Um, they do have a, a discussion in there about masks. And what they talk about there is if your employment duties require you to actually be in a workplace um, facing the public and the mask is not provided by your employer, that's the type of situation where, yes, it is deductible. Um, but for those of us who are just perhaps choosing to go into the office, we could work from home, but we choose to go into the office for the relevant day, that is not going to um, have that, that nexus to our income because it's still it's a choice that we're making. Um, it really has to be that client-facing um, requirement to be there and your employer doesn't provide it. So, I mean, the the tax office has some examples of those in the medical industry. I'd be staggered if in the medical industry you have to provide your own mask. That's um, true. Even for things such as, yeah, yeah. <laughs> even retail, um, a lot of those would be provided with their own mask because, again, they just want to make sure that you know, people are having clean ones and things like that. Exactly. Good. Okay. So um, what's always critical? Things like our car and um, and travel claims. We've already alluded to some of those. Um, also, the ATO has said that um, the travel car expenses has gone down in the 2020 year by 5.5%, thinking, you know, like COVID started in March 2020. So they're expecting it to have gone down quite substantially in 2020. 21 and now probably 22. So um, Leanne, can you just go through some of the major things? And we've had a couple of finalisation of rulings um, to do with our travel. Um, So can you just sort of tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's it's really important to note that just because you um, are driving to work, I, I always tell my clients, you've absolutely got to differentiate between travel to work and travel on work Um, and it's only travel on work that is deductible 
yes, I appreciate that you you know <laughs> you might not be able to earn your income unless you've spent the money to get there, but you absolutely does not make that does not create the nexus. It needs to be that you're using your vehicle in the production of your accessible income. So the tax office has got a recent ruling on this, TR 2021-1, and this is just looking at generally where, where transport um, expenses are deductible. And I must admit, and again, you've probably found the same, talking to some clients, there's just a few surprises in there that, that they feel, um, I guess, that they perhaps didn't understand. Just because you work at two different locations. So Monday to Wednesday, I work at location one, and Thursday and Friday, I work at location two. I don't suddenly get a deduction for travelling to location two. It's still travel to work. If in a day I travelled from location one to location two, that's different. But just travelling to a different workplace, even if that workplace is really, really far away, I don't get a deduction for it. Um, just chucking a toolkit in the back of my car doesn't make that travel deductible. I must need what's in my toolkit for work. It mustn't be provided to me by my employer and there mustn't be any secure storage at my workplace for it. And we've seen cases where the tax office really does drill down, contact the employer and say, tell me about your security arrangements. Um, give me details of break-ins that have happened in the last two years. They really want to make sure that that, that um, is, a, is a, a real concern. Talking to clients on these kind of peripherals, I call them, or, or you know, on the grey line, um, travel expenses, the tax office almost doesn't even care what the claim is. They're really focused on just establishing that nexus, um, particularly if it's a cents per kilometre. I mean, that's not a huge claim anyway, but just establishing the nexus. The on-call on call is probably the other one that I um, certainly have had a few surprises at. Just because you're called in to go to work in the middle of the night does not make that travel deductible. Um, I use the example of my, my mother. She used to be a theatre nurse, so it was not unusual for the phone to ring at all, all hours of, of the night at home. Mum would get the call, head into the hospital. She's done no work until she gets to the hospital. She's just taken the call, headed on in. So that still travel to work, even though it's in the middle of the night. The difference is where you have to start your work at home. You can't finish it. So but going into the office, being called in is the only option available. Um, and I often use our poor IT guy for that as the example. Here, often, I think once, once a month, he does some sort of update to the server. Every now and then there's a glitch and he physically has to go into the office to finish that off. Well, that's the kind of travel um, that is deductible in that situation, as long as he wasn't going to the office anyway that day. Um, the other ruling that comes out each year, of course, is our um, normal substantiation ruling. So the ruling on um, overtime meal expenses, overtime, oh, sorry, travel expenses. And the one thing I always remind people is that ruling does not give you an automatic deduction. Just because you've spent, you know, uh, I think there's an example in the ruling where I get an allowance of $80. I spend 85, but the reasonable amount might be about 150. Well, I don't get a deduction for 150. I still only get a deduction for what I've incurred. And what I've incurred in that example is the 85. Um, I don't have to formally substantiate it, but I certainly have to show the tax office, should they are, how I got to the $85 deduction. 
Yes, well, that's true. And you've got to bring in that allowance. Those substantiation rules are yes. only if you receive an allowance. There are so many people out there that um, just go, well, I travel. I'm a partner in a, in a firm. I'm not an employee. I can claim these amounts. And they think that it is basically a deduction um, that is allowed as such. And I always say, you know, you can't go to Canberra and, um, and go and stay with your nana and, um, and then still claim the amount that's allowed for your, I'm doing air quotes, everybody, in case you can't <laughs> see, air quotes allowed, um, because you have to have spent, um, spent the money there. Just back to the car expenses. I mean, in the olden days, when I was young, uh, you didn't, you know, money wasn't transferred down the wireless in those days uh, through the internet of course we didn't have that and it was checks and so it was always someone's job to go to the post office in the morning on the way to work <laughs> and then take all the letters to the post office on the way home this ruling does this ruling actually talk about that um yes it does <laughs> don't know that they use the post office as the example but they might I can't remember they might they might, but uh, yeah. certainly you the can't. principle is there. <laughs> Stationary, I think, is what you do. You pop into office works now. It's open at 7 a.m. Um, <laughs> so you um, doing incidental tasks on the way to the office absolutely does not make that travel on work. That is still travel to work. You're just stopping off on the way there as well. And again, we saw a case, and the name will come back to me shortly, um, where we had um, a gentleman one side of Melbourne was travelling to the other side of Melbourne and would stop and get fuel into you know, little jerry cans of fuel for all the equipment used on site. And the tribunal member said, well, you've done that purely just as a matter of convenience. You're not specifically travelling to pick that up as part of your employment duties. You just happen to be picking that up on the way to work. It's still travel to work, not travel on work. That's right, yeah. Um, also, one of the things, and we'll talk about some other data matching that's um, going to happen. Um, uh, well, we'll talk about that later. But there is one uh, gazetted um, uh, notice that uh, from 2019 through to 2023, novated leases, they're going to be doing data matching on novated leases. So they're going to talk to or get the information for, from places like um, uh, Macmillan Shakespeare Group, Smart Group, um, uh, SG Fleet Group. So all of those Toyota Fleet Group. So all of those ones that have the fleet plans for um, FBT purposes. Now, let's stop and think what a novated lease is. First of all, you've got an employee or a person and they get a particular lease on a car. They get that car. And it is an agreement between the um, leasing company and the employee. Now, if that employee then goes to an employer to be able to have fringe benefits and then, of course, use the 20% 20, 20 rule, the employer must be the one that has the car or is the owner of the car or has the requirement to pay the leasing costs. And that's where there has to be a novation of your lease to your employer so that the employer is taken to be the one who is supplying the car. That has to happen. And once that happens, now we're in FBT area. So fringe benefits tax would be payable on, you know, the 20% the rule or the private use of, of the actual, actual car. 
And any expenses that you pay as an employee towards that will reduce down the amount of the fringe benefits. So generally these fleet companies work it all out and then there's a you know adjustment that's made for your salary and wages, etc. Now, what's been happening is that people are novating their lease and then turning around and wanting to claim all the expenses in their own name as well. So the ATO is do doing the data match to identify the taxpayers who have incorrectly claimed their motor vehicle expenses or the employer has not claimed or, or, or dealt with the input tax um, credits correctly or hasn't um, uh, complied with the FBT obligations. Now just stop and think that if you don't novate your lease to your employer, what actually happens is if the employer is paying all the expenses for your car, it is an expense payment reimbursement. If you have a logbook and the logbook, like Leanne says, 80%, well, great, that's good, you can use that. But if you've got no logbook, you're driving the car to and from work, well, then 100% of that would be a fringe benefit. And so you've got to, you know, uh, uh, gross it up and then work it out mm. at the 47%. The reason why innovations um, happened was, of course, you know, what was happening was that, you know, general manager would come in and say, right, I want a lease on a, on a Porsche. And they'd get the Porsche, the company would lease the Porsche. And then that managing director would leave, leave the Porsche there. The next guy would say, I've got eight children. I need a people move. I don't want the Porsche and the employer was stuck with this Porsche or they'd have to pay it out and cost a lot of money. So that's why those novations go with you. The other thing I want to remind employees of is that I've seen in many cases where they've resigned from a job, they haven't continued paying their leases, they get to their new job and they say, right, we're going to novate the lease and you have to pay all of those back leases. They're about to take my car. Well, of course, there is no requirement for the new employer to pay those lease payments. You should have been paying it yourself. Um, they will take it from the time that the novation occurs and then pay it forward. So, you know, 2019 through to 2023, they'll be catching up and looking at all of those novations of the leases. So something just to consider. Mm. Yeah, I had a, a friend ring up quickly. Yes or no answer. My niece wants to um, salary package a vehicle. The employer's offered to do a novated lease. Should she do it? How do you answer that yes or no? Because I just want yes or no. I said, well, I'm not giving you that answer. <laughs> or the answer is no, go do some work somewhere else. Oh, that's right. There's exactly. so many considerations, isn't there? So yeah. many. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, so the next one that we, we consider is our self-education expenses. So um, is there, what, what are the issues that we've got to look at when we're looking at our self-education expenses? I actually hate self-education expenses as a topic, mainly because it's, it's reasonably subjective, isn't it? You've got to be spending money on something that is going to either, uh, I guess, maintain or enhance your current skill set for your current job or it's going to lead to the opportunity for you to have um, more income earned from your current job but it can't be opening up a new income earning venture so where you're sort of trying to I guess climb the corporate ladder 
is this a course you're doing because of your current job and getting more money from this or is it opening up that new income earning opportunity? And one of the cases that I'm reminded of was a school teacher who was a science-based or classroom-based science teacher, had aspirations of being the principal, so he went and did some management courses. Now, being the principal, he was absolutely going to be with the same employer, being whatever education department it was, but of course, Management has nothing to do with classroom-based science. So he was denied the deductions, even though it was really kind of just climbing almost the, the corporate ladder within the school. So you just need to be, I guess, a little bit mindful to show that there is that nexus between what you currently are doing and that self-education. The other one that always gets a little bit tricky, I guess, is where you've got the, the student at university been there for a couple of years and then gets the job. Um, the employer says, fantastic, now you can just work for us part-time, do uni part-time and um, um, that'll be good. The problem there is I guess you've got what's come first, the chicken or the egg. Are you incurring the education because of your job or is your job following on because you've started that education? And that's where I would always look at Anstice's case as kind of our authority, the young lady that went to the Australian Catholic University. Um, she was getting um, social security, and I'll come back to that issue in a moment. Um, and so she was getting social security payments. And of course, to continue to get that income, she had to make satisfactory progress towards the completion of her degree. So that's what she did was argue the nexus that she was sort of bound to keep getting that income to keep spending the money. High court win for her, fantastic. The legislation was changed. You can't claim deductions against um, uh, social security but the principal's still there. And if I have a job and my employment contract says, from this point in time, if you wanna keep this job, you need to make satisfactory progress towards the completion of your degree, I argue that's the nexus. And so from that point on, those expenses are absolutely deductible. The other thing that gets me a little bit confused, I guess with the self, not confused, but one of the things that confuses people with self-education is the course fee. Now, if it is a government-funded place, so most undergraduate degrees, the government you're still paying an amount, but the space itself, that, that university placement you're in is still government-funded. You're not paying anywhere near as much as a full-fee-paying student. You can't claim deductions of that amount because you've already got government sort of support. You can't get a deduction as well. But if it's a postgraduate course, there's no government funding, and you're paying that full fee, even though you might be paying it back through the help system, back through your um, tax return, as long as it's a full fee paying spot you're in, you actually can get the deduction. So it's a bit hard for us mere mortals to work out which one's which. The tax office has a list, but usually the more you pay, the more likely it is to be the, the, the full fee paying um, um, program. So do you get that deduction up front as you, as you are doing the course or is it when you've paid the help yep. debt off? Yep. And again, we go back to Section 8-1. Have you incurred the expense and you are definitively committed the minute you sign in and get past whatever the date that is in, in the university calendar. So it's up front. The fact that you're not paying it back until you know, years down the track through the tax system is actually irrelevant as long as the placement itself is eligible, you get the deduction up front. Um, the only other bit of really good news, I guess, is for years and years, I've talked about this Section 82A. Um, this is the reduction to your deduction. <laughs> it said that the maximum amount that you can claim for a deduction under Section 8-1 is your total expenditure on self-education 
less $250. So we all know we could get around it. You, you just have to identify $250 worth of expenses that are not deductible under Section 8-1. They don't even need to be deductible expenses. They just need to be expenses. I would drink $250 worth of coffee if I was studying. <laughs> that silly little game that we go through doesn't have to happen in the future. Fingers crossed it gets through. The budget this year, of course, announced that it's going to finally scrap Section 82A. Unfortunately, it's going to be prospective, so you will need to think about it for your 2021 and your 2022 tax return, but hopefully we get it before the end of this financial year and we won't have to worry about it in 2023. Mm. And I love history, you know, I'm always saying. And so in the olden days, the reason why we've got that 250 <laughs> was in the olden days, you had, um, if you incurred expenses on self-education or educating your children, um, life insurance or and um, superannuation and if it was more than $1,500 you were allowed to claim it claim all of those um, additional expenses. I grew up in an era where my father if he saw me with a new pencil he'd say where's the receipt for that there was four kids and we each had an envelope and we all had to put the receipts into the envelope because dad would have added all up and of course when they got rid of you know the super's changed and life insurance is no longer deductible it it was just this amount that was a legacy from 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 that so often people say why and i and i then remembered these olden days so it's always good to have a have somebody who knows those things <laughs> in the group <laughs> Okay, so um, okay, so the next one I want to talk about is clothing because we're all in lockdown, and of course, I'm I'm you know sort of I'm always the type of person that when I change my wardrobe over, I go, well, I didn't wear that last year, so I'm going to chuck it out. Well, that would have meant that I chucked out all of my good work clothes, so I've left those, and um, and I'm certainly in more casual clothes. But of course, we still have to look at what is deductible in that clothing clothing line as such so of course we've got a deduction for additional conventional clothing and that goes back you know to sort of the the Edwards case where the lady was wearing um, hats and gloves because she was the secretary to the um, what was it the mayor's wife governor general's wife well, oh, well <laughs> governor general's wife i mean she couldn't you know she had to wear good you know nice clothes but none of that was deductible it was the hats the gloves the things that were specific to that uh that uh regime um we then got our uh occupation specific clothes so you've got your chef's check pants you've got your nurse's uniform um and then you've got things like uh protective clothing so those white dust jackets, they're not occupation specific because a dentist or a chemist or, you know, somebody working in a lab will have one of those white jackets. They're more protection, protecting, protecting your, your clothes, um, clothes as such. So they're um, uh, protective clothes. So that's when you get in, I'm working on the construction site and I've got things like my, um, my, um, steel uh, steel boots we had a case this year where um the gentleman um was working down in tasmania and he wanted to claim um and he was out because he was checking the sewerage in in um the sewerage line out out in in the tasmanian high country and in winter it got awfully cold there so he claimed a beanie and gloves and 
bamboo socks because his feet got cold. They allowed him the beanie and the gloves because that was protective, but not the bamboo, um, not the bamboo um, socks because he had to wear socks anyway. So it was determined that um, that that wasn't um, wasn't deductible as protective clothing, but the beanie and the gloves were. So what you have to do is then um, you have uniforms or they can be can be uniforms. So the uniforms are things like um, corporate uniforms. So they will be um, deductible. Um, and so a corporate uniform, if they're compulsory, will be deductible. So it means that if you turned up for work, and I used to use the Daryl Lee ladies because that was such an obvious, see, I'm showing you how old I am they used to wear like a smock like a clown with a big bow I'm doing the hand gestures up over my shoulders here uh, a large bow and of course you would never go into Daryl Lee and not see one of these ladies in their outfit so probably McDonald's now so if you turned up to McDonald's in your shorts and your singlet top, uh, et cetera, you'd be sent home and get your uniform on. That is a compulsory uniform. It, if As long as it is enforced, well, then that would automatically be a deduction as a uniform. If it's not compulsory, then meaning that it's a uniform, but you don't have to wear it, you, you can, well, then the employer needs to register with Oz Industry. And that will then identify the size of the, you know, the design, you know, it's, it's got to be obvious that it's a uniform, you're not going to the down to the, the club, clubbing um, with, you know, sort of uh, <laughs> uh, tax banter written across your bottom um, of your trousers or across your, your, your pocket, etc. But it is, um, they've got to be registered for it to be a, a, a deductible clothing amount. Now, the other one, that uh, generally uh, gets people, um, uh, you know, uh, confused is this laundry expense. So we all know that we've got to wash our clothes. But basically, the laundry expenses for laundry or dry cleaning is associated with the clothes that were usually the clothes that are deductible. So your deductible clothing. So it's your protective clothing. It's your um, uniforms, your work-specific clothing. Not the fact that you go to work in a nice outfit or, um, you know, you've got to wear, wear a collared shirt and a pair of trousers to work or, or if you're a, um, you know, if you're a tax presenter, you've got to look half decent or as if you know what you're talking about through your outfit. Um, <laughs> that's all what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, oh, that's it. <laughs> so all of that, of course, you cannot claim the laundry on. Now, there's this magical 150 $150, uh, which means that you don't have to substantiate it. So a bit like our travel expenses, you don't have to be substantiated if it is uh, under that amount, but you have to have incurred it and it has to be for the deductible clothing. So basically what you've got to do there is keep your diary records and receipts for, you know, um, uh, your diary records, receipts for, um, uh, if it's, sorry, I beg your pardon, if it's over $150, um, you've got to keep your diary records and receipts from your laundry expenses. If it is under $150, then you only need to have a reasonable explanation of what you're doing. Now, if you go home and everything's so dirty that you just do one, I'm just thinking of, you know, sort of, um, um, you know, somebody who's, who's, who's got a lot of, um, uh, 
I'm thinking back when I used to work at McDonald's and you'd come home with that apron and everything covered in just juice and fry fat. That's right. (laughs) Lovely. And there'd be no way that anybody would um, put that in with the other washing. Well, then in that particular case, you're able to um, claim a dollar per wash. But if it wasn't so grotty, well, then it would be 50, 50 cents um, per wash that you can you can claim. But just so many people think, oh, well, I'll just claim the $150 because you're allowed to. But you've got to be for that work specific um, uh, work specific a uh, specific um, clothing anything else you wanted to add regarding the clothing no I do recall the tax office doing a survey a couple of years ago saying based on their data probably this 2018 tax gap analysis um, one in every two employees was claiming some sort of deduction for clothing so if I think about just walking around the streets, I find that really hard to believe that every second person is wearing protected clothing, occupational specific, compulsory or non-compulsory work uniform. So I think there's a lot of people just putting 150 in there. And I actually had a conversation with an accountant who said, well, how will you know, how will the tax office ever know? You know, if you can just claim it. And it's just going to be easy. Occupation code, it just stands out. Don't do That's it. Right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And of course, the, the you know, there has been situations where the commissioner said, you know, like somebody who's wearing a suit, they're the head waiter at a restaurant, same sort of thing as McDonald's, they get food spelt on it, etc. They've got to dry clean it regularly, where there was another case where a, um, a school uh, part-time university professor would wear his suit, and he'd get chalk on it, and um, he would want to dry clean it on a regular basis. And they said, no, you can just brush brush the chalk off and there's no requirement <laughs> for you to wear a suit. But he was one of those ones who thought he looked much more professional if he was in a suit. Uh, <laughs> okay, so with those thoughts, uh, where is the ATO at at the moment? Do you have some... Um, well... There... Go on. I was just going to say, they certainly... Um, there is a prolifer of information out there. Um, any, um, I know we're talking to, to tax practitioners generally whose clients are all, well, how will the tax office know? Well, what can I claim or whatever? Absolutely direct them to some of these tax um, toolkits. Um, there's a whole heap of different uh, industries. This replaces those old occupational um, uh, specific rulings, you might recall. They now have really nice glossy brochures that just say, you know, you're in the education. I mean, I've got lots of friends that are teachers and I'm sure they there's a provision that says I'm a teacher, I can claim what I want. There isn't. There are rules. <laughs> and particularly with things like the clothing you've just been through. So I think those tax time kits are fantastic. Um, certainly you get information from the tax office each year about where they see the errors coming from. Um, and it's the usual suspect. Obviously, it's making sure you return the correct amount of income in, in your tax return, um, about making sure you differentiate between the private expenses and obviously those related to your work, keeping receipts. Um, keeping receipts will be the biggest reason why the tax office denies um, deductions if you've otherwise got the nexus there. Um, for 2021, they seem to be more focused on things like rental properties and, and, and things like that, which probably is not necessarily our, our work-related expenses, um, but certainly um, you know, they're always, it's always a hot target. Um, I would be absolutely really being mindful in that 2021 tax return to think about my travel expenses. Um, as I 
sort of said just earlier on, I know personally my travel has just um, absolutely halved. Um, I'm usually travelling something well in excess of 20,000 kilometres per year. 2021, I did 10,000. Um, obviously, there's a, in both your private as well as your work-related travel, but definitely the drop in work-related travel was more. So it's looking at a simple provision like um, the, the car deduction provisions, the logbook, section 28-90, it says I need to take into account changes in my past use. So that is the sort of stuff that the taxes will be interested in, um, making sure, I mean, again, they know from your occupation whether you're one of those occupations that would have been working more from home, not being out and about. You know, it's quite different if you're um, um, tradie or something like that that might not have had as big a restrictions on your, your travel. So I'd be watching those, um, obviously, the um, home office as well. Whilst one's go up, one goes down, are they going to counteract each other? Probably not. So just look at your overall work-related expenses. Okay. Well, that sounds that sounds great. So we have got, you know, probably not quite in our work-related expenses, but we've had some data matching um, things that um, I just want to warn people out about out there that the Commissioner's got this information and is doing this data matching and no longer can you say, oh, well, when and how will they ever know? They have got access to, what what is it in the rental, Lee? In the rental, um, a yeah, re rental, uh, rental property um, bonds. So they've gone to all the state authorities and said, "Give me the data. Let's put a rental bond in here." And the statistics were the last time they did this back in, I think it was two thousand and eighteen. Again, 19, uh, they yeah. made nineteen. Thank you. They made um, twelve thousand amended assessments, and that generated fifty one million dollars worth of additional revenue. So it's shooting fish in a barrel. The tax office will absolutely do that again just <laughs> to clear your income. I'd yep. like to get 51 million, some of that capital gain, but certainly just dot your I's, cross your T's, it's rent. That's right. And it's that, the rental um, bonds, as well as the property manage, management um, uh, data system. So from the property management software providers, they're getting information about, you know, when something has been, um, you know, like, managed, being, being rented out. So, you know, they can go and say, okay, there mightn't be a rental, rental bond, but if you're doing it on a, um, on a regular basis, um, then there could well be um, uh, those additional amounts. The other one that I want to just mention is our cryptocurrency. So, I know you sit down with your clients and you go through and you say, what are your deductions, et cetera, et cetera. But cryptocurrency, you know, I'm, I, I'm, you know, shooting myself for saying back in 2014 that it was a, um, a flash in the pan, that they were worth $300 at that time. Um, and uh, it was too risky to risk your money when you look at the amount that they're going for now. I would have been one of those people that says, oh, don't buy a television. That's just going to go. Um, and nobody's going to be interested in that in 12 months time. So with that confession, <laughs> cryptocurrency, what the commissioner <laughs> is doing is going, you think you're, you know, think nobody knows about um, any of it, but he's actually going to the um, crypto uh, cryptocurrency designated service providers. What he's asking for is 
your name, address, date of birth, phone numbers, social media accounts and email addresses. And I have had so many people who are not in a, in finance or whatever ask me about cryptocurrency because they look at all the social media and everybody's bragging about how much money they've made in cryptocurrency and that they can you know now retire or whatever else. Don't be fooled. The commissioner can get his hands on that information. And so therefore, the idea then is they're going to also have your bank account details, the wallet address. Don't think it's just up there in the clouds, transaction dates, etc. Um, also, they estimate that they'll get between 400 to 600,000 individuals. So what they're looking for is capital gains. If you have bought it as an investment, um, you need to pay tax on it. But if you have bought it as speculation, then of course, um, or if you've you know been using it and bought and bought it as speculation, and you are buying and selling and going and using what is it the dog doge which is dog, which is God reversed and they put an E on the end, <laughs> all of that sort of thing, you know, um, all of that and you're making money and you're buying and selling, uh, et cetera, well, then it will be on a normal income account. If an employer is paying their staff in cryptocurrency or the staff are salary sacrificing to get cryptocurrency, fringe benefits tax is payable on that. Okay, so those sorts of things need to be looked at um, and, and bought in. And as I say, it's not work-related yeah. expenses, but it's something to talk to your clients about. No, but I actually had a question from a client about the um, using cryptocurrency to make a donation um, and how do we do that? And the uh, tax office's current position with cryptocurrency is that it's property. So when you're looking at making a donation of property, you're in quite different rules than if you're making a donation of cash. Um, in particular, you need market valuation and it has to be more than $5,000. So just, I guess, appreciate that we might call it currency, but it's certainly not currency. Um, and from you know, claiming deductions and things like that, you know, we can get a deduction to the extent paid a deductible gift recipient, but it's a donation of property, not money. So different rules. That's right. And also, you know, this is the other other issue with it is that if uh, you probably don't have any miners because of mining, the cryptocurrency is very expensive and very difficult to do. Initially, it was it was much easier. And I and I always cringe because a lot of people are using cryptocurrency are into we're going to save the planet, etc. If they knew how much electricity it takes for those mega computers to mine one cryptocurrency, well, then they'd probably, you know, that they're, they're really you know sort of barking up the wrong tree so <laughs> from that point of view those amounts if you are a minor are not tax deductible because basically what you have got is a capital asset and so it is a an amount that would be the cost of that asset and then when you sell it of course you'd have a gain um, on the on the sale of that asset Okay, so any other thoughts on, besides cryptocurrency, back on our work-related expenses? No, I'm just, I expect 2021 to look different to what it has been in the past. I One of my favourite accountant jokes is, is, you know, did the accountant do what they do? Because that's what we did last year. Don't do that this year. That's <laughs> Make sure right, your 2021 exactly. tax return is different to your 2020. Look at it. Yeah. Yes. So that that easy rollover, you know, roll over the tax return and you know put everything in. It needs to be conversations with your clients, definitely. Mm. 
Okay, thank you very much, um, Leanne, for your your contribution here. I think it has been a, a, a good a good yak about um, the issues with work related expenses. So thanks for listening to the this episode of Tax Yak. Um, and um, I've been chatting with Leanne um, Hayes, my colleague at Tax Banter. If you'd like to connect with us on social media, you can find uh, Tax Banter on LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, let us know your take on the episode or suggest future topics or speakers. You can also get onto the Tax Jack um, team um, on email podcast taxbanter.com.au and find our regular blog articles on taxbanter.com.au backslash, is that back, backslash banter Forward blog? Slash. <laughs> Forward slash, you see, um, I'm the most uh, technical person they have. <laughs> if you've enjoyed our podcast, please take a moment to rate, um, except for my technical abilities, and write a review for the show wherever you are. It will help to improve the profile of the show and we would love to hear from your thoughts. Look forward to you joining us next time. Thank you. Thank you.